was just talking with Angela about how at the first Catalyst retreat, it was just me and a guitar. And every and you know, everybody's singing. And now it's like arcade fire up here. There's like twenty band members. It's wild. We don't even recognize hardly any of them, you know? Like Rachel and I. It's just really cool to see how much God has done. Rachel asked me if I could take a picture of everybody for our singles ministry of eleven people. So I'm going to put you on panoramic, so you can wave, but don't move too much, because you know with panoramic, if you move, you end up having like a double wide head in the picture. Okay, ready? Just say, Jesus is Lord. Here we go. Jesus is Lord. Steady, steady. Awesome. We, I got a reading light here. That's nice. We are really excited to be here. Um, I think I have a PowerPoint. I do. Um, Rachel and I, you know, we started dating here four years ago at one of the singles conferences that we were doing, the Southwest Singles Conferences. Um, It's a place of love, San Diego. (laughs) Romance. And uh, God has been really good to us. We got married uh, just about 10 months after that, and We're expecting our first child. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl, so we just call it an it. But uh, please be praying for us about that. It has just been so encouraging uh, to be here this weekend, to see all of you, uh, to fellowship with old friends. Y'all going to make a brother cry. It's messed up, man. I think one of the coolest things is just seeing faithful people. Because, you know, you come back and inevitably you hear about people who've left the Lord. But to come back and to see people who are faithful. It's cool. It gives me a lot of encouragement, a lot of joy. Let's pray, huh? Let's do that. All right. I got to be able to speak at some point. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you that we get to be here this this weekend together. Thank you uh, for the time this morning to to sing, to worship, uh, to lift our voices to you, God, to fellowship with one another, to hear from your word, to remember Christ. It is His day. It's the Lord's day. God, I pray that uh, you would just remove any self-centeredness from me, God, pride. Uh, desire for praise, and just let your spirit speak through me this morning. I pray that we would, we would come away thinking about Christ, thinking about how incredible the sacrifice was and how valuable the kingdom is that we have. Please help me not cry too much through this sermon. Thank you for everybody. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray for it, God will hook you up, you know. Woo! You know, uh, we have such an incredible fellowship. Uh, it's so awesome to have a kingdom of the heart. Where you just you come together and it just unites us. It connects us. We have something on earth that can't be found anyplace else. It's amazing. It's the kingdom. And yet somehow some of us 
maybe all of us, at some point we, we forget how good we have it. How good we have it to be part of God's church. To have that kingdom in our hearts. You know, we can take it for granted that we have the encouragement of meeting with the fellowship on a regular basis to worship our God together. We can focus on each other's weaknesses and get critical towards leadership. Maybe we think sometimes we don't need the church. I know I've felt those temptations at times. I've felt those struggles at times. You know, we can look at the church like a buffet table. And we just come and we consume and we leave our mess. Somebody else to clean up and we show back up again when the buffet's on. Rather than looking at it as a place to serve one another. We can think that because, you know, it's not perfect, the church isn't perfect, then maybe we shouldn't really commit everything to it. And yet God commits everything to us, imperfect people. We need to see the incredible privilege that it is to have the kingdom, to have what we have here in our fellowship. It is such a privilege to have this. How do we do this? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. The title of my lesson is The Lord Your God is a Consuming Fire. And my only point for you this morning, if I can get it to change, a slide to change, is to be consumed with God or be consumed by God. And that'll get scary as we read here. Hopefully inspiring too, amen? In Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18, it says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, to such a voice speaking words that those who hear it begged no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying That Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know, the author is referring to the time here during the Exodus when at Mount Sinai, Moses received the Ten Commandments. And... God gave him the covenant that was going to be between him and the Israelites. And he comes down in smoke and gloom and fire. And he tells them, don't even touch the mountain or you'll die. And they're terrified. And he's comparing that to Mount Zion, which represents God's kingdom, which represents what we have here. You see, in the old way, this was terrifying. Can I get the next slide there? If I don't have the uh, 
the power of this thing isn't working. In the Old Testament, it was terrifying. It says in Exodus 20, verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and the smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said, Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. You see, for the Israelites, the fear of God was so overwhelming that they didn't even want to have an intimate relationship with him. It was terrifying for them. He was mysterious. Fire, smoke, gloom. And God was testing them in hopes that they would they would, would they wouldn't sin. It would keep them from sinning. And yet within just forty days, Moses going back up to the mountain, they built, you know, a calf, a golden calf, and they're dancing around it. It didn't last too long. You with me right there? The fear of God did not last too long in their hearts. And Moses comes back down, and 3,000 people are killed, and the rest of them get the plague. Not a good scene. Punishment consumed by God because of their sin. And it wasn't that God got it wrong with the law. It was that in our sinful nature, in our flesh, we just could not live up to the righteousness. We couldn't fulfill what needed to be fulfilled. We couldn't do it. Only Christ, only His sacrifice could fulfill that. Could make up for our weaknesses. Israel couldn't even do it for 40 days with 10 simple rules. And so the law brought punishment. And the author of Hebrews is reminding the church that Christ brought salvation and this incredible kingdom that they get to have without that punishment. And that he is superior in every way. And that what we have here this morning is superior because of what Christ has done. If I can get the next slide. You know, Paul puts it this way. He says, If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, talking about this experience that they had in Exodus, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? What was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. This is what we have. Surpassing glory in the kingdom. And yet we can take it for granted. And the book of Hebrews is written to a group of disciples who were struggling with that. They were wrestling, you know, with several things. Jesus' capacity to truly forgive completely. They were wrestling with their relationship with the church and within the church and possibly with other churches. And to have a godly perspective of suffering. Throughout the book, you know, the author tells them, hey, don't throw away your confidence. Don't walk away from it. Don't give up meeting together. Encourage one another daily. Don't shrink back. Endure hardship as children of God. And in chapter 12, he's reminding his his church that they have the best thing on earth and in heaven. 
They have Mount Zion, the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, thousands of angels in joyful assembly. They have the church. It's God's church. It's Christ's church, the new covenant. It's awesome. I remember when I first came to church, it was like nothing I had ever seen before. I was blown away. I saw the kingdom. I saw it in people's eyes. I heard it in the way they shared the scriptures. I saw it in the way they loved one another. I studied the Bible. I met the king of the kingdom, Jesus. And I realized I needed to give my life to him and to his work and to his kingdom. When I first got converted, I lived in Long Beach at the time. I didn't have a car. I would take two buses and then skateboard or walk to get to midweek in Cerritos. It would take me maybe an hour or, you know, maybe more than that. I didn't care. I was pumped up. I found a kingdom. I was just grateful to be there. I felt lucky to be there. Do you feel lucky to be here this morning? It's been in the church that I got help with addictions and I overcame character weaknesses. It's been in the church that I've built my greatest friendships. It's been in the church where I met and married my wife. In the church, I've seen both of my parents become true disciples of Jesus. In the church, I've experienced freedom and a full life. It's in the church I've been inspired to continue to serve my Lord Jesus. And yet it's in the church where I can be tempted with bitterness, criticalness, And ingratitude. Why bitterness? Because you hurt my feelings sometimes. Why criticalness? Because you do dumb things sometimes. (laughs) And why ingratitude? Because when I'm stuck in either one of the first two, I lose sight of how blessed I really am to have you in my life. And I forget that you're putting up with me too. You know, I come to a weekend like this, and I see the singing and the fellowship, and I'm amazed. I get to go home to my little church of 45 disciples. 46, we're having a baptism this morning while I'm not there. And I see the same thing. It's amazing. It's the members of God's kingdom. It's awesome. I'm so blessed to have the church in my life. Do you realize where you are this morning? Do you realize what you've found? God isn't distant and untouchable. The Holy Spirit is with us this morning. Are you consumed with God this morning? I think too many of us have let the church become something that we just we take it for granted. We act like it's a right. It's not a right, it's a privilege. And the author was trying to communicate this to his readers. You know, too many of us, we stop taking care of God's church. And we stopped doing the things that we know we ought to be doing. We let, you know, the the several volunteers in our singles ministry who are leading the singles ministry, we let them do all the work, and then we criticize them for it. We pass the buck when, to staff when something isn't going well in our fellowship. It's your church too, you know. 
You can step up and do something. Too many of us are consumers in the church. I just want to do something. For those of you who have, who have volunteered on any level this weekend, whether it's singing or setting up or ushering or sound or running the tables, anything that you've volunteered this weekend, if you could just stand up for us. Isn't that awesome? Thank you. To those of you who are leading Bible talks, who are setting up sound, who are providing rides for your brothers and sisters, leading your singles ministry, encouraging the fellowship with awesome events and parties, who are communicating and running administration for your ministries, who are ushering, song leading, whatever you do, thank you. We need you. You inspire us. You inspire me. Please, don't stop doing what you're doing. We need you. But we need all of us to do something. Too many of us have stopped giving financially to support the work of the church. Do you think it just pays for itself? Do you not want staff members? Do you not want an intern for your singles ministry? Do you not want a place to meet with sound systems and worship and preaching? Do you really think God is pleased that you don't give back to him what he's given to you? And I'm talking to those who, who are receiving an income and, and they, they're not, they've been blessed with it, but they're not giving back to God. It's not right. Part of why we're not reaching the lost world like we used to is that we don't have nearly the staff or the finances to send people. In our church, we want to plant a church in Eugene next year. But we need to convert people with money. We got a bunch of campus students and young marrieds. They don't got no money. But isn't this the church of the firstborn, like he says? Isn't this Christ's church? Isn't it worth sacrificing a little bit of money on a regular basis to make sure that it does well and that it advances? I'm so grateful for the Los Angeles church because they're paying for half of our salary to be up there for two years, they committed for us. We want to be able to be doing what we're doing on our own. We're able to do that because of the faithful disciples. To those of you who give back to God regularly and support the work of the church, thank you. Thank you. We need you. Don't stop doing what you're doing. I look around. I see such, a, such an amazing group of disciples. I look at this room, and like I said the other night, it is the most talented, wealthy, educated group of single disciples anywhere in the movement of our kingdom. I mean, it is, like, awesome. We could be doing so much more. If we would choose to seek His kingdom first and His righteousness, to be consumed with God, what couldn't we do? What couldn't God do through us? You know, there was a time our entire movement was about the size of this room. 
And now it's, it's over 100,000 people. But that's not good enough. God wants to do more. He wants to do more through you. I hope you believe that. Let's read on here. Verse 25. He says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is what? A consuming fire. One of the scariest things to me is the idea of God's return. The Bible says it's going to be a great and dreadful day. Every knee is going to hit the ground. It's going to be like anything else any of us have ever experienced. It'll be far beyond what the Israelites experienced there at Mount Sinai. I want my friends to be in Christ's kingdom when that happens. I want my family to be in Christ's kingdom when that happens. I want to be found in Christ's kingdom when that happens. Amen? In verse 28, he says, my attitude needs to be that one of thankfulness because, hey, that's what it really means to worship God. I was sharing with Marco last night about the, how, you know, in, in our, one of our churches back east where my folks are, are and they're fellowshipping, uh, my mom has been bedridden for two years. And she's had, you know, some surgeries, and she's on different medications that keep her immune system low, and so she has to be kind of quarantined. And, and the sisters, they come, and they, they visit her, and they bring her communion, and they all went and got their flu shots just for her so they could come visit her, come take care of her. How dare I be unforgiving and ungrateful? Where else would I get that? I've been at this for a little while now, not as long as many of you, but I can get out of touch with how good I have it in the church. I think one of the greatest things about helping other people become disciples is you get to introduce them to the church, and you get to help them enter the kingdom for the first time, and you just see how thankful they are, how grateful, how amazed they are. Some of you, this is your first conference, and you're like, this is incredible. But some of us, this is our 30th conference or our 15th conference. And we're like, man, the worship was okay. You know, the worship was awesome. We can you, we can you do tambourines at church. Did you see that? We can rock a tambourine. It's awesome. But we can get, we can get critical and cynical. And You with me right there? I cry often at baptisms because I just see people so thankful for what they found. And it helps me get in touch with them. In verse 27, he says, the only thing that's not going to be destroyed by God's consuming fire, that's not going to be shaken and taken out, is what we have right here. 
Your job, your city, your home, your possessions, your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram account, they're all going to be gone. Your degree, your money, your bank account, all gone, removed, burned by the consuming fire. The only thing that will remain is the kingdom. And because of Christ's sacrifice, because of his blood, we'll be spared. Are you thankful this morning? Are you worshiping God in a way that's acceptable this morning? Because of what you have. Did it show in your singing? Did it show in your fellowship? Does it show in your giving to the church? Does it show in your life that you're consumed with God, your prayer, your Bible study, your evangelism, your humility, your forgiveness? We all go through hard times, amen? And a lot of them are caused by the people in this room. And some of them aren't, just life's hard times. But can you imagine going through those without the church? It makes me sad. I've seen it. I've seen people leave and then they, they keep, life keeps happening to them. But they don't have the church. They don't have God's kingdom in their lives. And man, it just gets ugly. Look up here in verse 14. It's okay that we read a lot of scripture today, right? Verse 14, he says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what had been done. You know, the author is saying we've got to make every effort to live at peace with each other. Every effort to live at peace with each other and to be holy. We're going to hurt each other, amen? But we've got to make every effort to forgive as Christ forgives, to, to, to look over, to look past our weaknesses. Jesus takes it so seriously in Matthew 16, or 6, verse 15. He says, hey, if you don't do it, you won't even be forgiven. If you can't forgive people, you won't be forgiven. Bitterness is serious. It defiles many. We've got to work on that. We've got to deal with those things in our hearts and make every effort to live in peace in the church. You with me right there? He says we need to be holy as part of God's kingdom. And without that, hey, don't be fooled. You won't see God. Sexual immorality, he says, that's, that doesn't, that's not going to make it. It's not okay. Any sexual activity outside of the marriage between a husband and wife, it's not okay. If you're messing around this morning, if you're living the double life, you need to make a decision right now. Get open and repent. It's, don't be fooled. Esau was in tears. He was begging for something to be different. For somehow the decision to be different. And it wasn't. 
Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Galatians 5, 21, he says, hey, look, you will not inherit the kingdom. And he's, he's writing to disciples, to Christians. We share that verse in the sin study with people, but we should really be looking at it for ourselves. Pornography is unholy, just like hatred, jealousy, discord, and all the other things that are in that passage in Galatians. They're unholy. And like Esau, you will not be able to change what's been done on that day. He says, don't miss the grace of God. Don't miss it. Don't miss it by putting off your repentance. If you've got to deal with something, deal with it. Don't miss the kingdom that can't be shaken. Don't let it slip away with hard-heartedness. Without holiness, no one will see God. Holiness is a decision. It doesn't just happen because you show up at the right place on Sunday. Are you with me right there? We need to make every effort for this kingdom. We need to worship God with thankfulness for this kingdom. Maybe you're not thankful this morning. Maybe you're hard-hearted. Maybe you're having a hard time forgiving. Maybe you're not feeling close to God. Maybe you're, you're feeling critical about some of your brothers and sisters in this room. Maybe you're just losing heart and you're not sure why. There's only one thing we need to do. Turn to look at verse 1 here. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus this morning. You need to consider him. Ultimately, he's the reason why we have the kingdom of God. He's the reason why we can stand forever with God. He's the reason why we can have our names written in heaven. And as you take this morning, communion this morning, I, I really I want to encourage you. Be thankful in your prayer. Consider what Christ has given you. Consider the kingdom that you have because of this sacrifice. Consider where you are this morning. Consider the glorious Mount Zion. Consider the friendships, the support, the heavenly Jerusalem, the encouragement that we receive from being part of this kingdom. And when we do this, we won't take the fellowship for granted. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we can be forgiving and gracious rather than critical and bitter. And we'll be inspired to serve the fellowship where there's needs. We'll live holy and at peace with each other. We'll be consumed with God and not consumed by God on that day. Let's pray.
Father, we are so thankful for what we have. We know that our righteousness could not have earned us the kingdom. We know that we couldn't have done anything to have possibly found what we have on our own, God. But because of Christ, because of your mercy, because of your grace in our lives, God, you've shown us, you've brought us, you've kept us faithful, you've given us time and grace to repent, to be forgiven again. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you for the new covenant that we have. Thank you for the the incredible kingdom that we're receiving. Thank you that we can have confidence on that day because of Jesus' blood. Thank you for what we have in this room. Thank you for this weekend. Help us catch fire. Thank you most of all that Jesus ran the race. He did it perfectly. He endured the cross. As we take communion, God, help us remember the sacrifice to consider that and to fix our eyes once again on Jesus and on where he's calling us to serve, to love, to live for his kingdom. It's in his name we pray.